0: Hello, and welcome to the Strength to be Human podcast with your host, author and playwright Mark Antony Rossi. This show explores all forms of creativity
1: for those searching for meaning and a place in the world. To err is human, but so is to love. Now, without further ado, here's your host...
0: This is Mark Anthony Rossi, your host of Strength to Be Human. Welcome back. We have another wonderful interview segment. As you know, sometimes they can be far and few between. Uh, folks have busy schedules, not always easy to coordinate. And then of course this corona thing probably not making it any more easier. Although you'd think it would because people are more inside than they ever been before. But <laughs> don't let that fool you. It's still it's still a task to do. You know, we all still have a life, even if it's clustered inside. Like like a like a monk with a laptop, I got uh, a wonderful uh, a writer over here, and somebody been wanting to get on the show for quite some time now. I think since last year, actually, that's how it happens. His name is Ethan Goffman. All right, some of his poems have been appeared in in my uh, publication Aerial Chart, as well as Blaze Vox, Birchin, uh, Lock Raven, uh, Mad Squirrel, Madness Views, and it just keeps going on over there. His um, his most recent book. Words uh, for Things Left Unsaid Said were released recently from Kelsey Books. Uh, he's also co founder of A Texas Community, a Montgomery College initiative that brings poetry to students and local residents. That's always a good thing. And he's also a founder and producer of Poetry and Planet, a podcast about literary things and uh, I think the environment as well. Ethan, thank you very much for coming on board. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we want to have you there. And it's always good to have a, a different mixture of people. And I got a funny comment from somebody because I'm doing another mailbag episode soon. And I, I'm sure they don't mean anything mean by that. But they're like, why always interview women? We're the guys. I'm like, I, first of all, I don't pick genders or anything else. It's not like I'm asking only people who are Protestant on the show. You you pretty much pick and choose the people that you want and you hope somebody will show up. That's how normally how it works because everybody has a different schedule. Some folks are so shy they don't want to come on on board. So I don't get to pick any of that. It just so happens that I think women, probably, uh, without sounding stereotypical, they they, they can talk more at ease than guys do. So I've had more turndowns from guys than I've had with women, and that's the reason why it's come out that way. It's not by choice. It's just the way it worked out.
1: Okay, and I noticed on my podcast I definitely have more women. And my theory is – there are more women poets out there these days.
0: It could be that, too. I could be wrong, or maybe I just have a piece of the answer. But this is what I've noticed, though, is that men seem to be more shy than women on these sort of things. I don't know why.
1: Okay, and that's at least the old stereotype was men were more self-promoting. Um, but, yeah, of course, we we were raised to not reveal as much of ourselves. Um, so... Maybe that it does make men more reluctant.
0: Yeah, there you go. The old uh, commitment phobic thing. Okay.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: That's yeah, not a bad. That's not a bad way of looking at it. You know, what? you're one of the few people I got on the show that actually, you know, had some real experience putting together shows and having to talk to people and you know talking about little things in general. So it's it's wonderful to have that kind of a, you know, backdrop on this because most folks are not doing this. They are just simply doing their writing.
1: Yeah, and you know, a lot of people, a lot of poets also have journals. My wife is a poet. She has a blog zine, but fewer podcasts, I think. Um, I do not want to edit. I know you're a fantastic editor. Um, I don't want to do it. I did work for a couple small literary magazines years ago. Um, I just... You, you can get overwhelmed by the amount of poems and so you I you, you that- can
0: and, and I really appreciate that the compliment I have a bunch of folks that, that help that's the only reason why I can even get it done so I mean I'm still very active and have a hand in it but I have help
1: yeah but yeah I, I do think like the blog I do with my wife we do the community teaching and like Doing a journal would be one thing too many for yeah, me. I hear um, you. Yeah.
0: So. In fact, that's one of the things I had to do when I uh, started seriously thinking about doing podcasts on a regular basis is I had to make sure that um, I doubled the staff. Am I like, Because there was just no way I could do it all. <laughs> I still do my own writing. And remember, I also have a full-time job. And, and um, as an older guy, I, ha- I have a younger wife and younger kids. So I'm not somebody that has kids in college. My kids are still in elementary school. So I have a full I have a and active life. So I knew that I couldn't do that journal with two people like I was doing before. I need like four and five people. Thank God I have six. So it really helps. And then I knew that I could do the podcast then. Because without that, I have to make a choice. And as much as I hate the podcasting, it, it, my first love has always been the journal.
1: Yeah, my, the podcast, actually, I did it only every month. And now it's only every other month. Um, I was actually involved with a couple other podcasts and, well, I was not really in charge and there were problems with both of them, I thought. So this, this time around, I kind of said, well, I'll do everything myself and have total control. Um, so I like the way I put it together. I don't have other feedback, so... It could just be my idiosyncratic podcast.
0: <laughs> it really depends on on the reach uh, the reachability and how long that takes. I, I do eight to ten episodes a month, so we're able to put a huge amount out in, in in just over a year. And now I actually have people emailing me, giving me comments, stuff I can actually put back on the shows on people saying something good, bad, or indifferent. But that even even that took about nine months for people to actually start noticing the show listening to it more, bringing on people, and, then you know, insane things. So it takes a while to build an audiences for people to, to give you feedback. But like anything else, if you stick with it, they're eventually going to find you. There's not a lot of literary shows out there on, on podcasting. I don't care what language you're talking about. There's simply not. It's a very small amount. In fact, when the network, they said, yeah, we'll give you a shot. Um, We, we don't know if you're going to succeed because you sound like a, a Jersey mobster. I'm like, yeah, thanks. That's not a stereotype. But um, they're like the last one that failed. So let's see what happens with you. And you know, uh, a year and four months later, you know, they they're believers,
1: alive and thriving.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, you started pretty close to the time I started. Um, I was lucky because I had this contact with this with um with an existing online journal, um, Earth Talk, and they said, sure, we'll put your blog on. So. I have a nice home for it and yeah. And then I wanted it more edited. I wanted to pick the music, et cetera, um, pick the poets. And I'm doing it all myself. Um, well, I do have a, an actor, like we do a couple classic poems every episode. So I have this actor in the city, um, Michael Oliver, who's fabulous, who who gives renditions of different classic nature poems. Some of them are pretty contemporary. They're not all that classic. And then, of course, we have the poet, the featured poet, who, you know, when, when the poem is read out loud, it just has a different weight and emphasis, and it's just different than on the page. So I, I think it's a real experience for people.
0: And, and it is. But I, I tell you, it, it's there's an art in, in, into reciting it alone that I don't really have, and I've done a few, you know, in in cafes and stuff all over over my lifetime, and I enjoy doing it. But I also recognize that some people they just have the the voice, or they understand the cadence better, or they can just simply invoke a, a certain tone that I that I couldn't. So uh, there really is an art to that, and and I'm glad that others do that and, and not I. <laughs> yeah,
1: and I think. As far as me, I'm good at reading kind of humorous poems. Not necessarily that good for more dramatic, serious poems. But I I don't actually read any of the poems on the podcast. Um, I am trying to promote my book, so I've been reading as much as possible. But the coronavirus hit first, and I can't read live. There are, like, a number of wonderful poems. it's all on Zoom. I yeah. guess there's other platforms. Yeah, is- Everybody's Zoom.
0: Zooming things there, I know. Well, so definitely definitely send me the link in, in, in the, uh, the artwork so I can uh, put it in our marketplace section for aerial charts so folks will know about your books out there, okay?
1: Oh, sure. Yeah, I will do that.
0: Yeah, I know. Everybody's doing this whole Zoom thing. I don't know anything about Zoom stuff. I know a lot of businesses do it, and now people are doing theater with it and all kinds of things. God bless them. They should do whatever they got to do to keep art going until this whole corona thing subsides. But I'm happy to stick with the podcasting because, at least, that actually, is something I know. and I'm just like you, though. I, I felt that um, it was important to, uh, you know, t- to take a, 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 a grip on the steering wheel and just simply do it the way you wanted to do it because... I mean, if it takes months just to get one person to do an hour interview, I can imagine having to have the, one or two people having to confer from between different parts of the country just on putting the show together. It, it'd be maddening, and it's just simply not practical.
1: Yeah, and that also just depends how alike you think and, you know, if if you can really agree on your your different tasks and enhance your strengths and, you know, really help each other, which sometimes actually does happen and sometimes just doesn't work out. But as far as the zoom poetry readings um, they I know a lot of localish poets um, and I think there's a lot of amazing poets writing like maybe more than ever. I think most many of them only get a little bit of recognition they, their books don't really sell that much so, lots of great poetry, not that many people actually buying books or reading poetry. I I do think there's a pretty active out loud scene and lots of different kinds of poems, right? I mean, you, you have lots of performative poets. You also have more, well, I don't know if it's traditional, but free verse. There are a few people who can write just wonderful poems with meter and rhyme um but th- it's very rare i mean 100 years ago 200 years ago all the poets could spin out these sonnets in perfect iambic pentameter and i can't do it and no nah, I mean, it's a
0: different yeah it's a different wavelength now although ironically uh support the supposedly uneducated uh rappers uh, can probably do more meters than, than anybody else can
1: yeah, well, it's its own art form, also a lot of internal rhyme. Um, yeah, it's different. I mean, and like anything else, there's, there's great rap and spoken word poetry, and then there's plenty of stuff that's not so great. But that's also true with free verse, right? I mean, you can put a bunch of stuff down and say, oh, look, it's a poem. But if you haven't really crafted it and rewritten it and thought about it, and selected it out, you know. It's yeah.
0: Just like- it, it, it needs that because one of the one of the problems, uh, I guess you could say that one of the big downsides from from, from free verse is that it, it it makes it appear like it has no rules and you could just do anything you want. But that's not really the case in, in many ways. I I find that it's harder uh, to establish a a a poem in free verse unless you're rewriting it five six seven eight times. You know where where you have something in meter, and, uh, in in a way that the meter structure sort of kind of keeps you from going off the cliff. Not with free verse. If you don't have your own discipline, if you don't have your own, you know, feeling of the nuance of what you're trying to do, you, you're just putting a bunch of words together and calling it a poem, but it, it's just crap.
1: Right, and some people like said, oh, it's like t- playing tennis without a net, but. I would say it's more like you construct the net that you want for that particular poem, but you really do want to think about form. Like how do you break the stanzas? How do you break the lines? Um, You can throw in devices like repeated lines. You know, you, you can do a little bit of rhyme, although there's different schools of thought, I guess, on whether a rhyme out of the blue is makes sense or is good poetry you know alliteration wordplay yeah Uh,
0: yeah i like i like to see it happen every so often uh, mainly because it's almost like having that red rose you know in a black and white movie it's sort of startling then
1: yeah i i will throw in a rhyme just to throw in a rhyme so then again some people are say gonna say why why did you do that like that doesn't fit the rest of the poem and of course, you can also do internal rhymes, um, and then you just rewrite.
0: Well, that's really that's really what all writing's about. It's the, the oldest cliche, and it's probably the thing I say the most on the show. is the million episodes we have over here, this is actually episode 124, by the way, folks. Is that so. in in the in the end, writing is about rewriting. It, it, it is few and far between, I mean, I tell you, I could write a thousand poems and maybe one of them I wrote from a draft with minimum uh, adjustments and then the poem was ready to go. It's all about rewriting, especially uh, when you're talking about fiction and nonfiction as well. So it's all about doing a number of drafts and, and each draft getting closer to what you originally were in, intending before you got all interrupted with, you know, fog of memory and, 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 and tiredness and in and the course of the day. And that's what rewriting is about because you go back into it with a fresh perspective and maybe some new thoughts and, and some, some new eyes. But if you don't do the rewriting, you're not really writing.
1: Yeah. And as far as the original, I think my philosophy is different from uh, maybe not most, but from a, a lot of poets think I have to write. Um, They'll set aside a time and consciously try to do it. And, I don't actually do that because my thought is there's enough poems in the world already. So if I don't have a real idea for a poem, you know, I just don't write a poem. I I work on different kinds of projects. So maybe I'll be doing something completely different that morning. But, um, you know, if it comes to me, it could come to me. Most often I wake up and I have a great idea, not most days, but, that's where a lot of my poems come from. But sometimes just in the afternoon, it comes to me. I try to write it down really quickly because then I'll, otherwise I'll forget. So I basically do have to be inspired. Um, actually, I do go to workshops and I've gotten some good stuff out of the workshops. So a good prompt can be helpful, but I do not like set aside, oh, here's an hour Every morning, or two hours every
0: yeah, morning. Yeah, yeah, and, and I and I agree with you, Ethan. I, we've talked about this on the show before, uh, in, in the episode about you know rituals of writing, where uh, and, and I blame Stephen King for this with his silly on writing book, uh, where he's pretty much telling people, yeah, you do fifteen hundred words a day, and by the end of the week you got like ten thousand words, and you're on your way, and blah blah blah. Well, that that doesn't work for most people, first of all, and second of all. The philosophy behind it sucks, because what it says is that you're supposed to guilt yourself into doing something really cool and creative. And if you're not doing something on a regular basis, you're not a writer, and you're not going to get anything done. It doesn't mention anything about inspiration. When you're doing this, you can't force inspiration. It has to it has to come to you, and then later on you can work out all the difficulties in the rewrite process. But in the meantime, if you don't have a good grain of uh, of uh, uh, of what you want to do, there a good kernel of it. You, you, you're not going to go anywhere anyway. So why thinking that you're going to write fifteen hundred words a day, ten thousand words at the end of the week? You, you're going to find out like nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine when we crap anyway. So all you're really doing is you're wasting time. You're not doing anything creative. You're, you're typing more than you're writing.
1: Yeah, so I I do pre edit, I guess, because I think I have a lot of Badal junk. Um, and I, you know, I'm thinking, oh my God, my thoughts are horrible. I have nothing new to say. I've thought that same stupid thought a hundred thousand times. No one would even care to hear this. So, you know, edit all that out. I I don't know. And then suddenly this one cool thought comes to me and I think, oh, that could be in a poem. And I run and jot it down. Um, and well, I've, I've actually had dreams that have turned into poems. Or, you know, what's happened? I, I had a period maybe two years ago. Um, well, stepping back, you know, I never really even wanted to be a poet. It was not one of my aspirations. Um, I just followed my wife, who is a very serious and poet who has really honed her craft. I started following her to workshops. You end up reading at the workshops. I read other poems, and then I started reading my own, and it just kind of evolved. Um, so, but during probably two or three years ago, I had a very fertile period, at least for me. I mean, I've written relatively few compared to some people, but I would, sometimes wake up and have ideas for one, one morning I had ideas for four different poems that I kind of conceived during the night. And, uh, you know, not just a vague idea, but I kind of knew, Oh, this line at this point is gonna have like the turn or the change or the surprising twist in the poem. Um, I, I, I had a lot of the structure in mind. I, I only captured three of them. A lot of times they're gone forever. But that's like unique in that I never had, you know, I can go a month and have no good ideas whatsoever.
0: There's nothing and, There's you know, nothing wrong with that. I, I would tell people who's to say that even when you don't feel that you you're putting anything down creative, that you just can't go to other stuff and maybe try to rework it or, or, or do other things that have to do with with editing because it's still part of the creative process. It still might uh, push you in, in in the direction you want to go, rather than always sitting there with a blank page, uh, really expecting something to happen all the time. So there's there's variations on creativity, and we shouldn't really pressure ourselves on thinking that it has to be something cool and brand new. Otherwise, everything else is is useless because it's not.
1: No. Yeah. But I, I, I also don't wanna write just to write. Um, and I'm I'm involved with I write nonfiction prose too, so some mornings I'm feeling like, oh I really have to work on this article. Or, you know, I'm teaching and I have a lot of grading that day and or there's just something else on my mind. So I I'm really erratic. But again, you know, I don't want to write a poem unless it's actually saying something and is meaningful in some way or other. I I don't want to write just to write.
0: I got you. We all have our own internal philosophies on on how we want to go about things. Some of them are wrapped around rituals that we we get involved in. They, They bring some security blanket to what we're doing. Others have... I have different motives for writing than, than the average person. No one says you have to all have the same motive. You got you got the folks here that, that are confessional. You got another group that are more therapeutic or either for other people's therapy or maybe their own. You know, you got some folks that are straight artistic. That's all they want to do is artistic things. Even if it means it's, it's something that sounds or, 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 or has an obscure type of meaning because it still has an artistic flavor to it. So we got to always keep that in mind that because of all those different groups that are out there, you know, each one is going to have their own, I guess you could say, uh, you know, agenda on on how they want to carry it out.
1: Yeah, and I, I think like if if someone writes fifteen hundred words a day, or I think was it Conrad who, no, maybe Graham Greene, one of those classic writers, I did like five hundred words a day not 501, not 499, you know, I've got great novels out of it. So whatever works and, you know, it's, it's totally individual. I mean, at a workshop, you can make suggestions, um, or in a class you can say, try this, try that. And definitely try it. Like maybe I should do the poem a day. I, I never really wanted to, but, um, you know, it, It's always up to the individual.
0: It has to be an individual thing because people, without having to sound uh, cliche-ish, they they have to find their own way into writing and for it to make some sense to them and for them to come across with some goal or some agenda or just some sort of philosophy. One of the problems with the Stephen King thing that he shared, and I'm not saying this as a way to beat uh, beat up Stephen King because I have nothing against him, pro or con. It doesn't... He's just not my cup of tea, but he wasn't trying to throw people off the track. He's just answering honestly a question that that was that was posed to him, and then he just put it in his writing book. But his creative process is he thinks in storylines. So for him to write in a broad fashion like he does, that fills in the storylines for him, and then he can edit in that in that way. That's just the way he does things. Most people don't think in that sort of way, so it, it means that what he is talking about on how he's creating. It's almost solely just for him. It, it's not going to work for most people.
1: Yeah, and I actually... What I did want to be when I was like 18, 20, 22, I really wanted to be a fiction writer, which I guess I didn't want it that much, or I would have kept on. But the, I don't like rejections. I didn't handle them well. and So I ended up giving it up. Or it could just be that I ran out of ideas. But I actually don't think... I'm not that much of a plot and character person, which I realized years later. I mean, I guess I can be, but I really, that big structure. I don't know. I I think I have lots of little ideas. Yeah. And so just by coincidence, I I also later wanted to be a cartoonist and I thought, Oh, I really should be a stand-up comic. Um, and then I think poetry turned out to be at times the perfect form for me. I mean, I I don't know. I'm actually writing this weird kind of little bits of prose fiction mosaic thing now, um, which could turn out well or could turn out to be absolutely nothing. But, um, you know, prose has its advantages too, it just depends what you're trying to say
0: well i've been fortunate to write in so many different genres and I just simply adapt the ones that you know want to carry across what i'm trying to do uh, as a playwright it's been great to see things on stage that i wrote it's also great to carry on stories i wouldn't be able to do in other another another genres where i know that there are certain messages that that best contained in a poem you can't even do a one act play with them and that's the good thing about having all the different genres, if you, if you work in all of them, like, like I've been able to do over the last 35 years, is that you can pick which one is going to carry your message. Because, you know, you, you're not going to get Wilt Chamberlain in the Volkswagen. You know what I mean? You're not going to be able to fit other things into other, other vehicles unless you're simply shaping them to where they need to be at. They have to be tailor-made, so to speak.
1: I you know, like that analogy. Um yeah, and I am kind of jealous of playwrights because it, it seems like really cool that other people are bringing your words to life. And I, I don't know, I don't know how much you just love the new interpretations, or maybe sometimes you think, I really hate what that director did, and that actor was not what I envisioned. But but I I would kind of love to have other people bringing my work to life.
0: It's been be- it's been fun. But uh, to be honest with you, almost every single instance when they've done something of my work, they made changes. And the changes, uh, the audience seemed to accept them, and, and it worked. But there wasn't the changes I wouldn't have thought of. But there wasn't enough to object to, like, don't produce it then because it wasn't such a game changer. But sometimes the changes they make are more for, for, for them feeling the material rather than, than for you. And I guess it works for the better, but it's one of the hardest things. Is because when you submit a poem or you submit a, a nonfiction piece or even a fiction piece someplace, and somebody suggests changes, even if they're minor, it's not uh, unusual for writers say, "No, to hell with that. I'm going to move with somebody else." But as a playwright, compromise is a, a big part of the whole process, and unfortunately, more times than not, it's it's more painful than you realize. But you go with it because the opportunity to get produced is pretty enormous. It's not like it's always there. And unless it's really just rewriting your play, you, you kind of live with the changes. It comes with the territory, but it, it's never fun.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm i of two minds myself because I was asked to make a change that, to a, a work recently. And I went along with it. and you know, maybe it's better. And my thought is, well, maybe they know something that I don't. Because, you know, I liked what I had originally done. But I can kind of see maybe the change made it better or fit the audience. So it's tricky. I think we don't necessarily perceive our own work. You know, I like to think, oh, I'm the master of my own work. But, you know, we don't... we are not always the best judges of our own work
0: well it's like those it's like those animals uh, i think there's cats and a few other groups of animals that up until a certain age of their of their litter if a human being touches it they'll kill it afterwards because it, it somehow puts some sort of scent on it that doesn't they don't recognize anymore so therefore now it's no longer theirs so it's a, it's an enemy or something it's and i think there's some writers that are like that that they can't bring themselves to make a change on something because, in the end, even when it's published, even if they got the credit, they're always going to look at it as something alien, like they didn't write it. And some people are so strong about that they won't—they won't go with any changes. And, and there's good and bad with that. I, I don't really recommend somebody, you know, to, to how they want to feel about their writing because, in, in the end, it's, it's a very personal thing. But I—I uh, I found that I made some changes on some things in the past, and I don't mean playwriting I mean other other forms of writing and I was comfortable with the changes in the sense that they academically made sense to me but I always remembered those pieces compared to others through the years and it it was always something in the back of my mind oh yeah that's the one that got changed so for something psychologically we know that when someone has tampered it even if we agreed with it, it it does seem to bring about a different different emotional reaction to it
1: Yeah, and for prose writing, like nonfiction, that, you really can get edited a lot. Like, I've had pieces that I thought, did I really write this? (laughs) There was one editor who was, I think, boy, he not only did he change the main thrust of the pieces, but he pretty much revised every single sentence. So it was kind of more his... Then my work by the, by the end, it, the editors are quite different. And it, it could also be that my work, you know, fits certain publications and doesn't fit others. But I, I have some editors who just love my work and they make a couple minor changes and they say, this is just great. And then I have others who it's just unrecognizable. It's like roadkill. Right. I mean, I,
0: I don't it, prefer it that way. As an editor, I always tell people that if, if I'm going to accept your work and there's some minor changes, I'll make the suggestion and then you tell me if you want to do it or not. But if I feel that there's too many things that get changed, I'm going to I'm going to mention that and then I'm going to reject it because first of all, I don't like the idea of someone doing that to my work as a writer. But then I, as an editor, I don't like the idea that I'm over here writing rewriting half your stuff. That, that's not supposed to be my job either. So I, I think it's a bad idea to, to go too far. And sometimes editors go too far, and I don't know why they don't recognize that, you know, if the guy's name is Bill, and if you just rewrote 75% of it, it's not Bill anymore. It's more like Phil. So, I mean, it makes no sense. You're taking away too much of the identity of the piece. What the hell's the point?
1: Yeah, and I think this is a little off analogy, but like, directors like for Shakespeare got so... You know, there's the the idea of the larger than life creative director, and they want to put their own spin on Shakespeare so much that it's like it's kind of an ego trip for them at a certain point. Like, I'm the real creative person here, and like, yeah, you're you are creative as a director. You're making all kinds of choices, but you know, be true to the playwright
0: it's 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 much more broader and and playwriting playwriting is it's a different it's a different universe than all the other writing mainly because playwriting is also one of the few of uh, forms of writing where um th- there can be a collaborative effort going on whether you like it or not because you got the director of pining in and sometimes even the actors want to have some say on, on things that have to be said and maybe even changes to the script but also it it's a different piece compared to the other writing because Playwriting is one of the few writing uh, forms of writing where you can actually make real money from. So, uh, again, it, it, if someone's telling you, listen, Mark, we've got no problem giving you $7,000 for this and let us run it for 90 days, but we want to make 800 changes, those are the things you have to also weigh, too, about, you know, is this worth the changes? Is it worth the money? Is it worth the credit I'm going to get? All these other things. So. It's 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 a different ball of wax than the other ones because you have a lot more real world decisions that you have to make and you don't have lots of time to make it. It's not like, yeah, get back to us in a couple of days If they propose something or uh, uh, they want to negotiate something with you. You, you got to get them answers quickly. There's no waiting around.
1: Yeah, and in theory, I love the idea of a collaborative effort where all these different amazing talents are weaving their strengths together and yeah, but if in pre- – well, I've never written a play. I mean, okay, I've never written a play that anyone would want to produce. But um, in if it happened, I'm sure I would be questioning all kinds of judgments and be upset about this and upset about that. So, you know, theory and practice are different.
0: They, they are. I, I had a play one time I wrote about these um, college kids that they were trying to do a, a technology-free experiment out in the forest. During a camping trip, and the first thing they told me, the producers were, "Hey, we love this. This is good and interesting, but we don't really think that it's possible that these college students can be out there doing this experiment without without, without actually using profanity. So we're going to add a whole bunch of curses to it. So they produced it. I got a videotape of it. This is back in the days when they actually had videotape and not CD-ROM, and it didn't hurt what what I wrote. And of course, they kept the plot and the storyline and everything, but." I, I was never really comfortable with it because I'm like, I would never make all these people say all these crazy curse stuff, but that's what they did. They they felt they w- it would work better.
1: And I think curse words are often the the province of lazy writers who just, it's an easy way to get a rise out of people. Not that they don't belong, but, you know, you want like the whole setting and the meaning to actually lead up to the curse word. You don't want to just say, oh, We'll just throw in this curse word to get something cheap.
0: um, Unfortunately, that's what what they did. Thank God they didn't hurt the story. They kept the story as it is. It didn't change anything. But I'm telling you, they sprinkled so many curse words in there. When my mother saw it at the time, she's like, did you write that? I'm like, "Uh, no, they added that actually. I'm like, you really? I'm like, yeah, they did.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and it's the same with comics, right? I mean, Richard Pryor might have been brilliant, but there are many who just – The curse word gets the cheap laugh, and it's it's easy. The hard part is actually having the setup and the context and, you know, the cleverness.
0: But you live and you learn when you do these sort of things, and, you know, uh, as I went forward, no one else has ever asked me to add anything profane in there, and if they did now, I would have to really reconsider it, because... Now i got children, and I don't want to watch them the play, and it's bleeping every five seconds or something, or i got to bleep it or something. It's just not helpful. Yeah. I'm not saying that all the stuff I write is, is, is family-friendly and, and suitable for someone who's 10 years old, but it's still better than than hearing the F word every every five seconds too because I don't write that way, and I'm not really interested. I'm not really sure where the, the creative energy goes when you have to add all that stuff to it. I just don't get it. You know, one time, one, once in a while, you have a, a, a GD in, in a play. OK, but you got to have yeah. it 15 times. I mean, come on.
1: needs to be earned, I think.
0: Yeah, that, that's probably not a bad way to use it. Earn your curses.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I know people who curse constantly. So you, you can throw in a character who does that, I guess. I, I haven't done playwriting. So I'm talking about a territory I don't know much about. that. That doesn't necessarily stop me, though. But, of course, you, the, you're you actually an expert in
0: this. Well, you have to write uh, according to knowing your own taste, but what you feel that environment would, would, would allow. I mean, in some in some instances, you know, I've had minority characters. I'm like, really, this is not really helpful. I'm really trying to portray this individual as authentic to his culture and, 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 and quite frankly, his environment and, and uh, him saying, you know, the, the MF word every five seconds, it, it to me it borders on, on just racial bias, you know, because it, I'm, I'm a white guy, an Italian guy. They're going to be like this is how you see black people or this is how you see Puerto Ricans or whatever. So in those instances, I've always made sure that, listen, don't add any of that crap in there because my name's on this thing and I'm not interested in having that that kind of a viewpoint. If somebody else later on, it wants to tell me as a, as a Puerto Rican, Mark, why don't you have him curse a little bit more? Well, I don't know. If I was a Puerto Rican, maybe I'd do that, but I'm not. So there's another standard for me, and I have to live with that, whether you think it's fair or not.
1: Well, that's very tricky, is like representing other cultures, because I... It's a double-edged sword, because you can say, I'm not fit to represent this other culture. I only know my own culture. I'm going to play it safe. And then you're limiting yourself, and face facts Our society, race is a huge issue that's kind of a weight on the whole society constantly. So do you want to like neuter that part of the society? But then again, if I, of course I do poems. And so I'm not trying to do fiction. So, but if I tried to do the voice of different groups, it would probably be really inauthentic at the same time.
0: Yeah, it takes it takes a while to, to sort of figure out how you want to uh, uh, approach it, and you have to make decisions and and, and stick by them. You know, I, I got two plays, public, uh, produced off Broadway, and both of them have to do with uh, minority uh, uh, characters—one black and one Hispanic—and um, believe it or not, the, the the biggest issue I had was not uh, on how authentic they, the the characters were. No one had any problem with that. The biggest issue. I had to deal with is, is actors that the minute they got a commercial or something, they ran from the theater to because that's where the money was. That's how they were able to pay the rent and All everything. Yeah. yeah, it was much harder to get those kind of actors in it. So uh, once I did those plays, I never went back to doing any kind of minority characterization again. And someone asked me, I said, listen, I can't go to that kind of stress like I did when I was younger. It is so damn stressful, someone telling you. You know, dude, if, if they give me that phone call, I got to roll. And I'm sorry, I, I you, you have, this is working real well for you, but I, I got to be able to make money. You know, it pays a very small amount of money and they had to, I'm like, I was fortunate that that didn't happen, but I hate having to root against somebody making some money just so my play could continue. It's just a, 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 sucky, uh, you know, give, give and get. It really was.
1: Yeah. And again, that's all part of our racial, ethnic inequality that, people can't don't always have the same opportunity to say I'm just gonna commit to this play
0: well that's not an easy thing I had a, I had a racial problem the only time I did was with uh, with the uh, the pastor I had a, a character that was a pastor in one of my plays and um, it happened to be the the man that played the grandfather in, in the in in the Cosby show he, he's the actor they was able to call him over to come to do the to come to do the play for me because uh, there wasn't a whole lot of elderly black characters that, that are actors. And he was also a man that had plenty of money. He didn't need to worry about doing commercials or other stuff. He was on the Cosby show doing sure. quite well. But uh, he he refused to have any real discussion with me because he didn't like the fact that uh, I wasn't black. Because uh-huh. when he saw the script and everything, he expected Mark Anthony Rossi was a black guy. And when he met me, he's like, oh, God.
1: that's another like i think if you can pull it off more power to you i don't think i could pull it off i mean i i could have i could i could probably do black characters but they'd be minor characters but i would not even try making a central character i do i do write about race in some of my poems um in a sardonic way but i i don't take on the persona of my persona is always me. I guess, in a way, I'm a limited poet. I mean, it's different sides of me. And, like, maybe I'll take, like, the ugliest side of me and exaggerate it for a poem, and that just gives a powerful impact.
0: Yeah, um, and, I, and, I, and I like that. And I don't really think that makes you limited. I actually think that liberates you to put out something that's unique. Because, remember, if you start doing things that everybody else is doing, how how is that not really limiting you anyway?
1: Yeah, I mean I do I have a certain voice and you know my friends know it and it's in the poetry. Um, I I think I, I actually have a pretty good variety of different styles of poems considering though. Well, the ones I send to Ariel Chart are kind of the most nature oriented and reflective, right? I I don't know how many of my other poems you've seen I. I do some that could be called speculative. Um, you know, I, I talk about different gods. I I have a lot of existential angst poems and, you know, basically different ways of exploring, like what's the point of it all. And we don't really know. And we can be angry at the universe, but it's futile in the end. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways. These are just common themes throughout literature, and I, I'm probably approaching them just somewhat more in my own voice. Of course, I write about the environment quite a bit, and that's also my nonfiction writing. But if you're talking about, like, kind of dread and apocalyptic thinking, well, we're in those times now, right? So <laughs> It seems like that, right? <laughs> So like my book has nothing to do with COVID-19 and Thank I'm God. not COVID-19 right now. I think a lot of other people are going to handle that, but yeah, I, I, I
0: refuse to even write a Corona poem. I just refuse. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm not going to, but I actually think it kind of fits the mood of the country right now. Cause I'm for me, the big shadow over everything is the environmental crisis but really the COVID-19 is, you know, people have gone to the far corners of the earth and exploited nature and cut things down and we're flying all around the planet. And that's the root cause of, of climate change. And it's kind of our foolish short-term thinking and greed is also the root cause of the coronavirus and why it's so bad.
0: Yeah, it's sometimes it doesn't bring out the best of people i was at the supermarket the other day i left my cart for a moment to go grab something down the aisle i come back a woman's taking toilet paper out of my cart i'm like lady what are you doing she's like well i thought you abandoned the cart i go i'm just right a few feet away how the hell did i abandon the thing's full of stuff and that's how that's how people were yeah they're stealing my toilet paper
1: people are fighting over toilet paper who would have thought and it was like i yeah, there's definitely this nasty, selfish side to human nature.
0: That, it's just, it was just disappointing to see that. I'm like, oh, and I was trying not to be a a, a mean, nasty guy about it, but I was not really happy about that because I, I don't feel it's appropriate behavior. I didn't do anything to, to incite the, that. I was abandoning the cart. You know, it's no. like you you can't move your butt over to the aisle and, and go grab something. You got to go grab my stuff. Thanks. Well,
1: but, well, people are desperate for toilet paper.
0: I it guess. It was
1: an excuse on her part. I mean, she was stealing it from you, and then that was just her cover story.
0: Yeah, but I, I, I never use the word steal because, you know, until you leave the store without paying it, really you're just taking it. You're not really stealing it. <laughs> it's like taking
1: it from someone else's car. Yeah. That's about it, yeah. It's a yeah. scarce item. <laughs>
0: mm, that's funny. But yeah, that sort of thing happens. So it's 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 pretty uh it's pretty it's pretty amazing, you know.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I, a friend of a friend of a friend, I guess, took like beginning. She lives alone. She got eighteen rolls of toilet paper, and then she ran out and got eighteen more. And uh, you know, people do things that are like selfish, and they don't realize it, it's. Then someone else has to do without toilet paper. Maybe they have the coronavirus, they're feeling sick, but they're out of toilet paper, so they're wandering around from store to store in the morning. So basically, our selfish actions hurt the wider community, and people don't even think about that.
0: No, you're right. That definitely has, has a cause and effect that it shouldn't have been there. Yeah. No this doubt.
1: Is, this is kind
0: so, of it. I'll go on. So, so talk a little bit about the book. I know you were saying that it has an environmental like angle to it in some of the poems. Is that what it is? Just this a whole book of environmental nature poems?
1: No, it's not. It's a hodgepodge, actually. But I think it's just the poems I wrote over about maybe a four-year period. I don't really know how many years. Um. Well, it's my first book of poetry. I just put all my best poems in it.
0: Um, Why did they change the title from, from your original title to now Words for Things Left Unsaid?
1: You know, they didn't really tell me. I think it's more poetic. I had a friend, I was saying, look, they changed the title. But she said, well, you know what? This title is going to sell more for people who are interested in poetry and the old title might have turned them off so maybe she's right
0: hmm. okay i just i don't hear too many instances where, where they uh change the title of the book i've seen them jet out certain things they didn't like versus you know things that were left in or maybe even change the order around of the sequence but it's it's kind of unusual for some to change the entire title of the book
1: that might be true it's my first for me it, it, it's happened a hundred percent of the time. So for me <laughs> it's <true>. usual, right? <laughs>
0: that's true. Okay. Yeah. It's a good way of I looking like, at it.
1: My wife's well, she's published three and they it was her title. The fourth one, the guy likes to give a title. So the fourth one, she didn't come up with the title, but she's fine with that. Um and I don't I think that's gonna come out this summer. They're kind of futzing around with the the uh introduction so it's kind of delayed um but yeah we're gonna we were trying to read together you know and we're trying to set up readings which is hard these days i think there's a lot of poetry poets out there so but we we looked like we had at least a couple things set up but course then the virus came along so i we had a nice kind of combination launch party and um just open mic for my book we're going to do the same with hers but it would be nice to be able to have a live get together
0: and read it's it's definitely going to eventually happen this is not all going to stay around forever so i'm definitely looking forward to many of those type of events and looking just for forward people to go back and to start living uh, normal again Um, I I would hope that this teaches us not to take too many things for granted
1: I hope that it will be a it's going to be normal but a different normal I think Um, and I hope it's a wiser normal I'm afraid people like don't learn and they keep making the same mistakes so you know I hope we live in a smarter less Selfish, less materialistic, more aware of human community and the long-term implications of our actions. I hope that's what happens. But there's nasty forces afoot in the world. People, we're a flawed species. So maybe we'll improve and find a harmonious Future, I, I would guess not, just looking at the whole human past. This is also kind of the big fatalistic. Some of my poems kind of have this, like, I do have some that pe- some people might say they're kind of melodramatic and overblown, depending what you want in a poem. Um, you know, you've seen my little more nature oriented ones too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. returning to the book, because I don't, I don't think I finished answering that question. Um, I think it actually all these poems, I organize them. and I think it fits together in a nice way where the first section is kind of well-rounded. And then I think there's kind of a projection, not a projection, what's progression. That's the word I'm looking for. So I, I do think it actually kind of has a beginning, a middle, and an end and works as a unit, not just a bunch of different separate poems that I happen to write. At least I, I hope, hope so.
0: That's always that's always the goal. And um, you'll take a lot from this experience and the next one will, will be just that much better. That's usually how that sort of thing works. Um, I, I always find that people's second book tends to be a, a more tight-knit organization than the first one because now they're learning to write things that, that have more more association and in and, and themes, and it, it's a little easy to put them together then.
1: Okay. And, yeah, my only thing is I'm writing fewer poems these days. I mean, eventually I'll have enough. I could, I could put everything together and get a chapbook right now, but eventually I'll have enough, but it could be a long wait.
0: Yeah, that's fine. You you don't have to be in a rush to put on a second book. It's important just to get the first one out there and learn from it, and and then of course you know continue to to live. It's one of the problems with with writers sometimes is that they um they have this weird guilty burden about having to always always create, always write, set time of this this that, blah blah blah. And they also seem to forget that they have to also live too. What the hell are you going to write about if you're not even living? It makes no and sense.
1: You know, there are certain certain professions, like a mathematician, which my dad was a mathematician, but even like a jazz musician. I think maybe people peak very young at some professions, but I honestly think if I tried to be a poet 30 years ago, the poems would not have been that good. I mean, they would have been worse. I mean, I, and I don't know how good they are right now because... You know, I don't think you can judge your own poems very well. but um,
0: Probably not, but you can tell from the past to the present uh, on your own improvements, so you should be able to at least see that.
1: Yeah, I, I wouldn't have had anything to say. I mean, I could have had a few superficially clever poems. I think they probably have more depth and substance just because I've lived a lot more. I, my life hasn't really been that exciting. I, I haven't done all that. You still pick things up through the years.
0: You do. You and can grow I,
1: wiser and wiser,
0: and yeah. Well, it, the first book for anybody uh, is, to me, I, I think it is it is really the the beginning uh, uh, of their journey on on learning more about their own creative processes, so that in many ways they, they can sort of leapfrog into doing things in a more improved fashion in a greater fashion. And even if it takes longer to do that second book, that's fine because the the quality and the improvement is, is going to be noticeable.
1: Okay, I hope that's true.
0: That's been, my, that's been my experience, and that's been my experience with talking to a lot of other people that they felt that, uh, I guess they just felt that they became more seasoned by the second book and they learned to take more of the experiences in and 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 just by the the practice of writing itself and rewriting, just became simply better, you know, at, at putting down verse and, and of course finding their own rituals. Because a lot of times when people write their first book, they don't really have their own rituals down on what they want to do. Do they want to set a time, set aside time? Do they want to put everything on pen and paper first and then transcribe that to to the computer and then do the editing, or do they just want to do like Stephen King does, everything on the computer from the beginning to the end? You know, and, and when they have to find those different processes of themselves, it this makes creativity for them that much easier.
1: Yeah, I'm, I actually do write on the computer, but you know, I have very messy handwriting. I've been typing since I was like thirteen, so to me, that's the natural way. I know a lot of people say, "Oh, I feel like I'm more myself when I'm handwriting," but I actually feel more myself on. The computer, which makes me, you know, I said to my wife, oh, we're the world's oldest millennials because we are pretty technological. (laughs) At least until the technology breaks down, which happens sooner or later.
0: It does. I, I know a lot of people that... They don't even have a pen and the paper to use for their creative process. They're either using the phones, notes, or laptop, or computer. Or I got somebody, I know that all they do is voice diction, and then from there they transcribe it onto the computer. So I know a lot of people that pen and paper, is just no longer part of their ritual. I don't mock that, and, and, and I'm not too surprised by it, by the way things have moved. But I'm still of that generation where that, that was important. And I still do some of it, but even I moved away from it a lot because the phone notes have been extremely helpful. I could catch things in the midday that I wouldn't be able to, to do so easily and phone them in there. this way I don't forget them. So uh, I've had to learn to adapt to use the technology so this way I can continue being creative, and it's yeah. been really helpful.
1: Yeah. Yesterday I did – it was late at night. I had shut the computer down, so I – while I was trying to get to sleep, this idea came to me. So I did run out and it's on the envelope right in front of me. Um, it's a teeny little poem. I, I think it's going to be worth trying to publish, but I don't, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a little time. So it's on the envelope, then I typed it up on the computer the next day and, of course, ended up making changes. And I'll, I'll come back to it again.
0: And that, that's really the essence of writing, Ethan, and folks out there that are listening, is if you can say what he just said, I'm going to come back to it again, well, that's all you have to think about when you consider something rewriting. I don't know, maybe rewriting scares so many people that you don't want to call it that. Just call it, I'll come back to it again. I'll visit it later. I'll check it out tomorrow. However the hell you want to put it. But if you are able to go back to that same thing that you put that draft on, then you're in the process of writing. Even if you don't like the way it's called. Even if you don't like having to go back to something you thought was done. You, well, you'll I'm, find you'll find that doing that it, it, it improves things a great deal.
1: I enjoy coming back to stuff. Probably in the summer. Um, yeah. I mean, that's... Yeah. we're we're kind of circling around to where we were at the beginning, but that's half the fun is you come back to it and make it better. I I, I don't get, like, I know people who say, oh, I don't rewrite. And I just don't understand that because, you know, your first draft is always has so many flaws and you can always structure it so much better. And then you're rewriting in this new image or idea comes to you and it just fits nicely and really enhances what you're trying to do. Now, Marianne Moore, um, she rewrote too much, I think, because just her most famous poem, I I don't know how much you know about her, but um, I think it is called, is it called poetry? Um, She took out her, her best line She stripped it down so much. You you know the line, imaginary gardens with real toads, which is kind of the essence of poetry in a way. She took it out. It's not in her final version. So you you can revise too much.
0: Yeah, you, you can. And there's no real way to tell somebody. Uh, yeah, after the third draft, just let it roll. I mean, you, you don't really know what, what it's going to take. I, I, I've had, I had, I had an essay that I, I wrote over twenty times before I felt it was good. Wow. I don't, I don't normally, I don't normally do that, but this don't. one, uh, because it, it contained so much in such a small amount of space, I needed to make sure that every damn word was right and where it needed to be at, and that's what it took to do that. Where I normally. Uh, An article, an essay, I usually just go three, four drafts, and I'm ready to go. And I usually never go beyond that. But that one I literally did 20 times. I never rewrote anything 20 times. Yeah, it's the only (laughs) thing I've ever did in my life 20 times, but I I still remember it. It's not even 500 words, but that's how many times I rewrote it.
1: Well, it depends what you call a rewrite. Because I'll, I'll visit a poem 20 times. That's pretty normal. But maybe one of those visits I change one word, right? So what what do you call a rewrite?
0: Well, see, I mean, that's fun, the funny thing. It's a good question, Ethan. But if we're not formally rewriting anything on a piece of paper and saying that's draft number one, here's draft number two, well, then we'll go into the word program. And if you go into the details of the word program, it'll tell you how many times you've had a revision on that particular you know file. So if it tells me 20 times before I'm ready to send it out there to get published, that means that I went back to it 20 times and changed certain things, whether it was words, punctuation, sentence structure, whatever. So each time to me was like a rewrite, even if it only consisted of a couple of things. Because when you have something that's less than 500 words, it's a micro-essay, every damn thing you do makes a difference, even if it's small.
1: Okay, so on average poem, I probably do end up going back to 15 or 20 times but major rewrites i don't know it depends
0: well i always have i always have for me every writer has a certain weakness mine has always been the, the middle so i'm always been one of those guys that starts strong because i have a good idea of what i want to say and i always feel really strong about the ending and then the middle is what i have to work on so that's that's where I where i worked on that particular one i did the same thing with some of my uh flash fiction as well that's normally where I do all the rewrites and it's in the middle.
1: Okay I feel that for poetry my endings are a strong point usually and for prose, at least nonfiction prose, I think the endings are my weakest point. Um, I just think well I'm just repeating what I already said. So I hate writing a conclusion to an essay or an article sometimes sometimes the perfect one comes to me but it's rare but the poem you know what i often know the ending before i start the poem
0: that's not yeah that's not too unusual though i know a lot of people that and i'm one of them uh that um feel that they can't proceed with the direction of the writing Unless that I already have the title already fully visualized. So that's usually how I do things. It's extremely rare for me to write something and not have a title. I almost always have the title already. It guides me to the rest of the way.
1: Yeah. Oh, the title I don't have. It's the ending that I usually have first. Mm-hmm. Um, or often, not
0: always. There, There's no rule that's always followed. Yeah, there really isn't. But uh, we all have certain, uh, I guess you could say, uh, you know uh cranks in our style that that we 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 turn to just because that's the nature of what our own personality is so i don't really find too many writers that have too many of the same things but they always seem to have a strength and a weakness i don't really know any of them that have all these strengths or all these weaknesses they always seem to have a mixed bag
1: i've met someone with all weaknesses i probably shouldn't say that (laughs) but i Yeah, and then there are people at least the final drafts. You know, if they're really good at editing. You know, like Elizabeth Bishop, um, at least her great poems. Okay, actually, maybe some of them are even the best ones. Maybe they could be edited down, I guess. Um, But who am I to say with, with Elizabeth Bishop? But, you know, like her... I think the most famous art, the art of losing, isn't hard to master. I actually it was my wife who brought this to my attention because we did a workshop that started with that on editing. So the first draft of that is just like it's a great idea for a poem and the execution is lousy. And the final draft not a word is left from the original and it's just so beautifully and amazingly put together. So that's all strengths, but obviously she sure worked at it.
0: <laughs> and I think people can tell after a while when you put in that kind of effort on a particular piece because uh, everything not only flows well, but you know the sentences, are all they all pop. They they They, they, they snap. Uh, it's like you feel that they, they uh, emotionally lock in place for for the reader and that's when you know you you've you've gotten where you're supposed to go
1: yeah i think it should look effortless and like it just came from god and of course when it looks that way it means you put the most effort into it
0: yeah and, and there's no doubt because i uh, remember i was telling you about that one that i wrote 20 times um i compared it to like because I've I've written over like five hundred essays and articles but just in like four years, the last four years alone, and it's still my favorite one of all of them. Ironically, well, it says,
1: you
0: wrote times. "Yeah, twenty times." Yep, yep.
1: Okay, um, I lo- I don't really count. I know it's in the hundreds, but not not in the past four years.
0: Well, I I, I write a, I write a weekly column for a, an Indian publication as well as the other essays I write. So, okay. I mean, yeah, that gives me like 50, 60 a year This was from that alone.
1: I spent six years writing um, for a sustainability blog, which unfortunately is now defunct. That, that was like the best gig I ever had. Well, I guess poetry filled in the gap in a way. But, um, yeah, so that would be over six years, almost 50 a year. So that's 300 over six years and then I wrote other articles too I don't write nearly as much uh prose now well if you don't have a weekly gig then you don't write as yeah. much
0: yeah. unless
1: unless you have some drive to do it
0: yeah it's just I, I I like doing it only because um they're short and I can uh have the freedom to write what I want about and and of course uh you know I, I've came up with my own uh, I guess you could say. Strategy of how I put it together, so this way it doesn't feel like a chore. There's nothing better than doing something that works out well and doesn't feel like you're doing that much work in it. I don't mind writing things three and four times. It's okay. It's just, as long as it doesn't feel like it, it's it's uphill battle every time you do it, because then you can't do anything weekly if it if it feels that painful. So I, I'm happy with it just because uh, it to me it just feels uh, you know old hat and, and easy and. and and worthwhile, and I guess when it stops being that one day, then you know, I'll end that, but um, that's how most things can feel, you'd you'd hope they feel that way anyway,
1: right I mean, I generally feel I I enjoy the rewriting process the writing process, I can love and I can hate, you know and that just depends, sometimes it's just flowing and wonderful and other times, it's like every word is painful, and you don't even know ahead of time how
0: it's going to be. Yeah, yeah, because you could feel like emotionally, I'm ready to do something really cool and creative over here, and then after about two hours you're like, where the hell am I and can somebody rescue me? So uh, just because you felt that way doesn't mean that your your mind and your spirit or your heart is simply engaged because sometimes it's not. It's sleeping or off in some other zone (laughs) of the universe or it just doesn't want to cooperate because as much as we might battle the world or even our family or our spouses to a certain extent on things we forget that sometimes we battle ourselves too
1: right yeah and I can't two hours would be the maximum for me to sit still I'm (laughs) gonna go out and do the dishes or take a walk or I'm actually not really good at sticking to tasks for hours at a time
0: Yeah, that's definitely uh, something I've learned to do, especially with with plays because they can be lengthy and and the rewrites on them are are different than most other writing because you can have an essay or a poem or even a fiction piece and your rewrites maybe two or three times really constitute a couple words or maybe even a few sentences. Plays are are much different. When you have to rewrite, you have to write like entire sections. There's no word here, sentence there. It doesn't work that way because changes literally alter everything else that's going on in the play and then you have to go back or forward even even, even more so they, they tend to be a lot, lot lot more lengthier and a lot more painful
1: okay and I, I just I did write I took playwriting when I was getting my master's which was a long long time ago um, so then I haven't written a play since so obviously I'm amazed by the To me, it's a very mysterious art because sometimes you just have, well, I guess people do flowery writing too, but, you know, they can put it together and it all somehow works. And I I don't know how one would do that, create characters with just a few words and that's it.
0: Yeah, I, I like to I like to plot things out, and that's how I do it. That's that's pretty much my uh, my idea. Even though the characters are in there, I I write plays from the uh, from the notion of I'm trying to get a message or or, 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 or uh, an idea across, and the characters are just there to deliver it from me. I don't really write plays about characters. They're there, but they serve a different different function for me. So that allows me to plot out a play on paper and then simply work through it all to get through the dialogue to make the idea or or the whole notion happen. And that's pretty much how I do it. It's different than what, what other folks do. And I, I try to keep them generally short within about a half an hour or so. You know, I've been fortunate to get a lot of them produced, uh, but at 25 years of playwriting, I've only written 26 plays. So we're talking about maybe one a year. They don't really happen a lot. And, and as time goes by, uh, they're harder and harder to write
1: are they really yeah 26 is a lot though i mean over yeah you keep at it you have a nice group of plays
0: i'm actually taking a break from it i'm doing i'm doing my last play i'm trying to wrap it up before this year is out and then i'm going to take a break for a couple years of getting away from it just maybe do a memoir or something different that i haven't tried before but yeah i need a break from it because i don't really feel that uh you know it it holds the same magic as it used to before you know, I mean, the one I'm doing right now is, is is fun and and I'm I'm liking it, but I can feel it's not going to reignite anything beyond that. You know, I'm so I'm happy to to give it up for a while. So uh, I'll be looking forward to that play vacation or that play vac that that vacation or something like my wife was saying, and, and do something different and and that that'll be great. Uh, I don't know if it'll be forever that I get, I walk away from it, but you know I've have uh, I have enough out there that you know I don't really need to you know prove anything more
1: (laughs) yeah well i do it i mean do what it's not like you're not doing anything creative or worthwhile so take a break from the plays do something completely different
0: yeah that's that's the plan so i'm looking i'm looking forward to that because it's this play that i'm doing now i'm halfway done it's already taken six months just to do half the play so it's just it takes longer now and it's just, it's harder to do. So I don't know if it's just because I got other things going on or just because, uh, you know, I'm not as invested in it. As, because when I was living in New Jersey, uh, you, you go into all these different theaters and you can go over and see your stuff. Now, unfortunately, I send it to England. I send it to other places. It gets produced. I don't get to be there. So you
1: don't um, have enough. Do you see videotape versions?
0: Sometimes they put it on YouTube for me. Other times they're like, you know, Here's a couple still photographs and a poster, and and that's it. And you don't get to see any more than that because a lot of times they don't film them. So it it, it does put a different uh, shine on it because you don't feel as excited as you did before, you know. And but that's that's the the, the back half of, of the play right now, just because of the nature of I'm married with kids. I can't go around traveling all over the universe to go see a play. And I live I live in the southeast, so I I don't live in a place that has lots of theaters. So I have to send them out. And and be happy when they get picked up, but then be unhappy of damn. I wish I could have saw, saw that. <laughs>
1: yeah, it sounds frustrating, but hey, it's really nice that they're producing your plays in England with all those the posh accents.
0: Yeah, I got one that produced it. I want to get it done in America because uh, I I like what they did, but the guy had such a an Irish brogue. That I swear to God, I don't even understand half of he's saying. And I wrote the play, so I'm like, I need to get somebody American to do this one. So I'll be looking forward to get that redone again. But other than that, I mean, I was happy to have it out there. And the guy was a wonderful actor. Don't get me wrong. It's just that it's hard to understand what he's saying sometimes. And that's never a good thing when you have a play.
1: No, I mean, I'll, I'm never going to experience that. Uh, I guess the poet and the the prose writer, it's, it's lonelier in a way. Or it's just not collaborative.
0: Yeah, it's 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 not. But there's some strengths to it. There's times where I don't mind being in the room with the poem and just doing my thing. There's other times where you just don't want to be dealing with all that play stuff. You know what I mean? This, that, and whatever, and hundred thousand questions, and you know that's the whole thing. Because things are much more black and white with the other with the other genres. They're either gonna like it, accept it, or like it, but say, hey, maybe we maybe try to change this a little bit, or or they're just gonna reject it. You know, plays are a, a, a lot different. I mean, just because they like it doesn't mean that everything they suggestion uh, you want to do or or that even can be done. You know, I, and and things continue to change from the nineteen nineties when I did plays to now. Now you have people literally saying, "Mark, can you consider doing a different gender on this?" I'm like, "What the hell?" I mean, a, a different gender? Yeah, I mean, we write this for, for a woman now instead of a guy. Well, yeah, then that, then. that's gonna yeah fun that's fun. gonna help. Five. Yeah, it's twice already, and I said, uh, "Hell no, I'm not." First of all, the play made no sense by changing the gender, so they kind of screwed the whole play up, so I'm like, no. And then another time, the work was so extensive, it just wasn't worth the credit or the money or anything they wanted me to do. I mean, it, it could take a month or more to do something like that, and just because they wanted to fill in a, a an acting gap that they had. They had a situation where they had more of one gender for actors ready to do plays in the other. So they were forcing playwrights to sort of bend things to their situation. And I'm like, listen, I- I'm not trying to give you a hard time. I, I know you have your own issues that you got to deal with, but I'll just go to another theater that can accommodate my play. What the hell am I doing over here? It's crazy. On well, in
1: Shakespeare's time, they would just have had the man play the woman. So that would have solved it.
0: Yeah, well, I don't know how modern we are today to do that, but that wasn't one of the ideas they had. They were like, let's make the playwright, rewrite the damn play. I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah,
1: I don't know. I mean, they do like all female Shakespeare's and stuff, but they're still the same character. Obviously, you're not going to, like, rouse Shakespeare from the dead and have him rewrite, so. Okay, I actually have someone I have to... Uh, Call him on the telephone.
0: Not
1: I mean, a problem.
0: Not, what said? Not a problem at all. And I'm I'm glad we were able to get so much time in and to really a- enjoy uh, our our thoughts and our writing. And of course, uh, folks, don't forget in Kelsey' books, uh, his uh, first uh, and and hopefully uh, many more to come. Uh, words for things left unsaid by uh, Ethan goffman So thank you very much, Ethan, for being on the show.
1: Thanks so much for for hosting this this wonderful show.
0: I I appreciate it. I'm going to definitely check out your whole environmental show and try to learn something from that. I definitely want to hear that as well. All right, folks, uh, you have a good evening. Uh, Obviously, stay safe out there with the coronavirus. This thing isn't going to go on forever, and we can go back to our normal lives. But, you know, I can't help but have a small amount of glee that those that had to stay inside we're able to listen to more podcasting, maybe get used to that, kind of put that as a, a, maybe a habit or a ritual in their own life when we do go forward and have a, a more normal life in the in the months ahead. So I'm glad that podcasting's got a bit of a shot of the arm and we do our own part to keep people entertained and, and keep them from, from being stir crazy. Until next time, folks, it's Strength to be Human. God bless you. Mark Anthony Rossi.
1: Thank you for listening. Follow the show and
0: support our efforts by purchasing an ebook at Soma Publishing. www.somapublishing.com.